Mac Power Users, Episode 444, Workflows with iPhone JD, Jeff Richardson. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm looking at the number in the outline, 444. Who would have thunk, man? You, you would think that's some kind of milestone we should... I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're still working on 500. At least I am. Yes. I haven't, I haven't sold Katie on it yet, but they, uh, they uh, ju- the numbers just keep getting bigger. So yeah, I know we're working towards a something special for 500, hopefully. So stay tuned. I'll keep you posted, but that's over a year away too. So we're, we got a little time, uh, but we've got a, a very special guest, a personal friend of both uh, David and mine. And that is Mr. iPhone JD himself, uh, Jeff Richardson. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're we're kind of breaking our rule about not having other lawyers on the show, but we're, you, you've you've got some geekery stuff that you can talk about. It's not going to be all you know law related. In fact, we're we're going to kind of shy away from the the law stuff, but um, but we got some fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, I, I want to just clarify that because we should have had Jeff a long time ago. I thought we had him on. Be honest with you, until I realized we had. You know, you do four hundred and forty four shows. It's easy to get confused. Yeah, but but I agree. We don't. Katie and I intentionally don't talk much about practicing law on the show. Uh, we we this is not that kind of show, and and we do avoid lawyers in general because most lawyers can't help themselves. But Jeff is a rare exception. He's a gem. He's a, a geek. He's spoken at tech show many times. Uh, he has a very successful blog called iPhone JD, which is about using the iPhone to get work done more than it's about being a lawyer, in my opinion. And you know, we just wanted to share some of Jeff's thoughts because he's a guy that not only does he work with Apple stuff every day, he also has a big jobby job for a big law firm where he has to work with Windows too. And Jeff, just every time I talk to him, he's got all this stuff figured out. So we wanted to share some wisdom with the audience. But before we get there, we got we got a few things. Yes. Um, I do want to mention that uh, it's August, and August is uh, Relay Anniversary Month. And uh, this year marks Relay's fourth birthday or anniversary. I don't, I don't know which one is more appropriate. So we've got a bonus show coming out uh, very, very soon. I don't know, honestly, whether it will come back in, in August or September. They're kind of sprinkling them in the, the members-only feed. Do you want to tell – are we just going to say it's uh, – we're gonna, we're, are we? You want to kind of tell them a little bit about let, what it's let's about? Let's just share it, Katie. Let's just share well, it. Well, let's don't tell I mean, them what we're talking about. But but uh, we decided we're going to do a rarity for us. We're going to do a we we try to stay away from tech related topics. Uh, we're going to do a movie review, and I will go so far as to say, it's not any of the movies you're thinking of. Katie, let me uh, pick one of my favorite movies, and um and I picked it, and it's not. It's not what you think it is. Let's just leave it at that. No, it's not what I thought it was going to be. So stay stay tuned for that. It's coming soon. If if you're a Relay member. If not, then you don't get to hear it. Yeah, then you lose out. So got to take care of that. But I got I got to watch a movie that I hadn't seen in at least 20 years. All right. Well, now you've gave him a clue. So I, okay. Yeah, there's a clue. Maybe that's enough. If you read my blog, that may be enough, honestly. But okay. we'll see. All right. All right. Uh, so Jeff is here, though. Uh, Jeff um, from iPhone JD. Th- welcome to the show. Thanks. Jeff, I know you're a longtime Mac user, and um, I-, I like, you know, when a guest helps us out with some prep. 
Uh, gang, Jeff gave us a list of every Mac he's ever owned in his life. <laughs> it was a fun trip down memory lane to say I had this one and then I had this one. Um, you know, my most memorable one was my very first Mac when I was uh, in uh, sophomore in college. Between my freshman and sophomore year, I had saved up money uh, working a summer job at a at a debate program teaching high school kids how to debate. And I used that money to get a uh, the my Mac Plus in 88. And then I, I splurged by spending the extra bucks to get the 20 megabyte, that's megabyte, external hard mm-hmm. drive. And I just thought I had more space than I could ever use in my life. That was just amazing. Uh, it's so funny because we're about the same age. And I, I remember going into the college bookstore where you got the best discounts. That's where if, I bought mine. I'm yep. guessing that's where you got yours. And then the 20 megabyte hard drive was like an aircraft carrier on your desk. <laughs> Yeah, and when it started up, it, it was like a, it sounded like a lawnmower. Frankly, getting ready to go cut a lawn, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> but the thing it, it was such a difference. I mean, I, I I've told this story in the show before, but the the transition from spinning platter drive to SSDs, uh, the only time every time I felt like that was the big transition from floppy to hard drive. It was that that level of improvement, but it was, sure was nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that was my first Mac. And then over the years, I have all, have had all sorts of Macs at home. I went through you know, LCs, a bunch of the performers. Um, I, I remember with fondly my uh, iMac DV that I bought in 1999 because it was the first iMac that I purchased, but also because it had like a little extra oomph to do some of the initial uh, things you would need for video, I was able to play around with iMovie and, you know, take some of my home movies that were on these, uh, you know, compact VHS tapes and get them on the computer. And it was fun to start to play with all of that stuff over the years even though now when i look back at the quality of some of that stuff it's so uh it's so small compared to what we have today with hd and everything else but uh but yeah and so my current home computer is uh an imac retina 5k which i got in 2014 so it's about four years old now but it still works really well um the only regret that I have with it is that for price reasons, I got the Fusion Drive just because I still keep all my mm-hmm. pictures and everything else. And I tell you, the my my work, um, I currently use a, a Dell at work, just a silly Dell laptop, but it does have the um, the SSD in it, and it's just so nice and fast. So, I mean, the next Mac that I get, I'm just going to put whatever money I can put together to to get SSD. I just have to do that. So Yeah. When I uh, when I got, because I had the 20, I had the original iMac uh, Retina until very recently, I upgraded it and i think i had a 500 uh gigabyte hard drive in that an ssd and that was the for four years that was always the thing i had to worry about was how do i deal with this limited drive storage so when i got the new one i i just bit the bullet and got the two terabyte drive and now i'm hovering around one terabyte at most times i'm a little Mm. over (laughs) but it's just i mean i do think that that is for most people that is going to be the sticky point. I mean, processing speed, most people are not going to notice. And uh, and RAM, I don't even think people are going to notice so long as you get a decent amount of RAM in it. Um, uh, you know, where traditionally processing speed and RAM were always the bottlenecks. I think now it's it's storage. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I recently increased my RAM not that long ago, but a year or so ago. And it, it helped a tiny bit, frankly. You know, it didn't make enough of a difference. Um, yeah. So, so when you're getting a new iMac or getting a new... Uh, laptop make sure even if you have to save for a couple extra months to get you a comfortable size ssg i really recommend waiting because it, it is you're going to end up losing the computer prematurely if you don't have enough space on there have you looked at upgrading that at all to i mean i know it requires pulling the screen off and that's kind of a daunting task but you know ssds are, are 
getting kind of inexpensive now. Can you pull that off and take it to an authorized reseller or a, a Mac expert in your area and, and see if they'll do it if you're not comfortable doing it? You know, I probably could, but I'm as much as I'm a, a tech person. When it comes to hardware stuff and pulling things apart, I've I've seen online the the little the thing that you stick to your screen to yank off the, the top, the front, from the back, and yeah, the oh, suction cup. Just, I, the cup that just gives me the shudders. I don't think that that is something I would feel comfortable doing. So, um, and you know, as as is true with many other folks, you know, I'll get a new computer at some point. And again, this one is really fine for now, but at, you know, computers go through a chain in my house. They go from me to other family members, and you know, they live on for for many generations. So it's at some point, other whether I want the new computer or somebody else is ready to upgrade, it'll it'll happen. The other thing I would say about because I actually looked into that. I I I have some clients that are Apple authorized repair folks, and I think there was something special with the original batch of the 5K iMacs where they weren't that easy to just replace the hard drive. I think there was some problems with the way it was configured. I think it got easier in the later years, but replacing the SSD was not something that was trivial even for an authorized service. That's so. why I would take it to somebody because, yeah, you brick it, not your problem. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure that's that's not inexpensive. So but Jeff is another thing, though. Jeff is a rare breed of attorney that started out being a Mac lawyer. Really? That is true. Yeah, I know, because I started my law firm, uh, which is called Adams and Reese, by the by the way. I'm in the New Orleans office, but we have offices all the way from Texas over to Florida and Tennessee and South Carolina and D.C. So we're sort of a, a southern law firm. When I started in 94, the firm was all Mac. And it was, it was still a big firm at the time, although it's much bigger today. And that was pretty rare for law firms in the mid-90s. Um, there were a few others like Honored and Porter and D.C. and a, and a bunch of other, uh, you know, just a few notable large firms. But it was rare. So I think my first Mac, when I was a summer associate there in law school, I was just using like an old Mac SE. But when I actually joined the firm in 94, I think I had one of the Motorola clones first or maybe a Power Mac. And um, but, you know, these were the days before Steve Jobs came back to Apple. You know, people were still you know wondering what the future of the company was. It was an interesting time to be using Macs. And then we continued to use Macs um, really until around 2000. We became dual platform with both of them. And then a year or so after that, around 2001, maybe, we started to invest in legal specific software that only existed for the PC. And so that was when the firm sort of said, you know, keep using your Mac if you have it, but we're not going to you know, be buying any new ones. And so I was, you know, I, I was always a longtime Mac user and, and love using Macs. And so, you know, PCs are fine, but they're just not very interesting. So for many years, I just used the PC in my firm. And then I was so excited when I started to become an iPhone and then an iPad uh, user years later, because once again, I could, you know, use Apple products with all of their fit and finish and polish in my uh, business, which was, which was great. So, well, you know, on that subject of uh, someone, so you, now you currently are living in both sides on both sides of the fence. So you're using a Mac for your personal stuff and we'll get to the iOS stuff later, but for the computers, you're using the Macs at home and PCs at work. How's that going for you? It's going well. In fact, to be more specific, I should say PC at the at the the work office and and Macs at the home office. Because although the Mac is my home computer, you know the nature of being an attorney, and I'm sure this is true for many other professions, is it's it's not a nine to five job. You know, emergencies happen, and you're working on things at night and on the weekend. And um, unlike when I started practicing in the '90s, when that meant you know going into the office on Saturday mornings, now you can work from anywhere. Um, but but you know you you're, you've got stuff all the time. So I will routinely be working throughout the day on my PC and then come home, you know, dinner with the 
family and the kids and stuff. And then later on at night, I will pull up a document again and start working on it again on my Mac. And um, so I'm just, I'm going back and forth all the time. And that's largely because, you know, I guess for better or for worse, the operating systems aren't as important in terms of getting uh, software these days as it used to be. I mean, like when you guys first made the switch, that was a big binary thing. It would either ran, ran on the PC or it ran on the Mac. It never ran on both. But now with the emergence of cloud-based software, with Microsoft's kind of doubling down on making themselves a multi-platform software company, suddenly it doesn't matter as much. Absolutely. And are you able to, and I realize in different professions and with different uh, companies that will probably be different, are you actually doing as much just pure remote access your PC? So when you're sitting at your Mac, it's just a terminal to your PC? Or are you actually able to use some of the same applications and programs now to access files and do the actual work on your Mac that you would otherwise be doing sitting at your PC? How has that changed? You know, it's it's both. It depends upon the project. I mean, I certainly have Microsoft Office on my Mac, and there are times where I will just, you know, have a document that I've emailed to myself and download it on my Mac and just, you know, sometimes I just sort of feel like working on the Mac. And so I will be working in Microsoft Word, using a web browser. I will access some of the legal services, you know, like Lexus or Westlaw or something like that and, and use that. And that all works fine. Um, but then there are other times where it's just as easy to remotely access my work computer. I, I have a very fast internet connection at home. We, we use the Cox internet here and I, you know, my speeds are easily 200, 300 down and I guess it's capped at 30 up, but that is more than fast enough that I can connect remotely to the office. In fact, there's a couple ways that I can do that. We use, I, we have remote access software at our firm. The one that we use is called log me in where I can you know, literally access my firm computer. Although I use a Dell laptop at work, that laptop just stays on and frankly never moves. I mean, I, I can't even think of the last time I've actually used it as a laptop. If if one of you told me that you had glued that laptop to my desk two years ago, I would not be able to dispute you on that because it just stays there <laughs> all the time. And then when I'm home using Log Me In, I just, you know, remotely connect to that screen and then suddenly my work computer screen is on my huge, beautiful 27-inch uh, iMac. In fact, sometimes I wish I could bring this to work and actually use this big, beautiful screen, even if it's remotely connecting to something that's six inches away. And so um, I will just continue working just as if I was in the office, and that works. That works really well. Um, there's something else that sometimes we use. Some, you know, for some reason my work computer is off or something like that. We have something called Citrix, where I can uh, connect to. It's basically just a virtual machine, so it's not my personal computer. It doesn't have the things that are on my personal desktop, you know, stuff like that. But it accesses, you know, Outlook and and our document management system and and all of that stuff. So for the most part, I can get things done if I need to to access some firm resources. Um, I can do it that way. So that's sort of the combination. Um, the thing that makes it work really well, though, is is Dropbox. I I love Dropbox. And I just wish I could use it more. Drop, I mean, everybody knows what Dropbox is. And I love that I can be, you know, have a document in the folder at work and I can come home and it's basically in the same folder. And the only issue that I have with Dropbox is that um, I, I personally, just because a lot of the, you know, as an attorney, I'm working on confidential attorney-client privilege things. I don't feel comfortable putting 
anything that's confidential on Dropbox because I don't have like a signed confidentiality agreement with Dropbox or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't use Dropbox. I, I'm a litigator, so I'm, you know, and lots of the things that I'm working with are documents filed in court, which means they're public documents. And so all that stuff goes in Dropbox. And that's the main thing I use it for. It's my filing cabinet. I need to see the motion that was filed two years ago. I can access it, you know, lickety split, no matter where I am. And that is just so incredibly useful. So, um, so that's my combination. It's, you know, remote access, mostly using LogMeIn, sometimes Citrix, and then just using the Mac versions of the applications in connection with Dropbox. And it's, uh, you know, it's a tiny bit complicated, but it works really, really well. Yeah. At my old firm, I actually bought myself an iMac that I had on my desk at work. And there was a PC under the desk. And there was a <laughs> couple apps that we had to use. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's some I want to say, but I don't want to get sued because I, I cannot say them without saying how much I hated the software, <laughs> but, the, uh, but you know, so there's a couple apps I had to use that were PC based and I would just, I would just virtual and for those. And it was the same thing. Cause you're sitting right next to it. It's such a fast connection. It's like running native on the Mac. The, um, and then I wanted to talk to you about that idea of box or Dropbox, because there's a lot of people out there that have jobs that involve secure documents. and uh, for some of them, the office just locks out Dropbox. Like, for instance, my wife works for Disney, and she can't use Dropbox to, you know, save stuff at home and then work at home and then work at the office. But, you know, the, some of these companies have either they, they roll their own solution or there are some services that are more, I think, friendly to big business and and privacy concerns. Box.net, it used to be called Box.net. I think they're Box.com now. Uh, is one of those where they're much more kind of enterprise friendly and and Microsoft has some great stuff. And so if if you're out there and you want to be able to do this work from home and work, you should talk to your IT department because there there really are good solutions now where you can safely um, share those documents and, and feel comfortable doing so. In fact, David, one thing I'll mention that um, I'm starting to use more of, we have, when I was talking about Citrix before, I was talking about sort of the um, their, their Zen virtual desktops, but Citrix also has um, a ShareFile product that it's sort of like their version of Dropbox, but one of the differences for working for a big company like I do is we own our Citrix server. So Citrix, the company has, and uh, maybe they, they just are dealing with the pointers or something like that, but the actual documents live on a server that, that we at my law firm own. So I will often put things on there to share with other people, to share with myself. It's sort of like my own private Dropbox. And um, and that works really well. And, and again, I should mention, although there are some law firms that don't let you use Dropbox at all, um, like Disney, as you described, but there are also some lawyers that use Dropbox for all of their confidential stuff and they have no problem with it. And I don't mean to criticize people that do that. You just have to make a decision as to what level of comfort that you have with these third-party services. Yeah, a few years ago at the at the attorneys ABA tech show in Chicago every year, there were like holy wars going on with people about whether they store their files on a server in a closet or on Dropbox or something like that. And uh, I think that's it's, it's settled down a bit now, but for a while it, it was like fighting words between attorneys. And I'm sure that's true in a lot of businesses where they have secure data. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by RX Bar. They're whole food protein bars with simple real ingredients. Get 25% off with promo code MPU. Well, it took us 400 episodes, gang, but we've got a food sponsor on the Mac Power Users, and I'm really happy with the one we got. That's RX Bars. These are whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. 
One of the things I do working at home a lot is I just work through lunch. I don't want to take an hour off to go make myself lunch. I just want to keep going. But then I always get, you know, hangry in the afternoon. I need to have something for lunch. And the folks over at RX Bars sent me a box of these things, and I love them. They believe in being totally transparent. That's why their core ingredients are listed right on the front of the package. Today for lunch, I had the chocolate sea salt RX bar, and it's got three egg whites, six almonds, four cashews, two dates, and no BS. That's it. That's what it says on the cover. They're real ingredients you'll recognize. They have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, real spices like sea salt or cinnamon. They come in 14 delicious flavors. A couple of my favorites are mango pineapple, chocolate sea salt, peanut butter and berries, which tastes a lot better than you think it would, and apple cinnamon. These RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, with none of that bad stuff like artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. They're great for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump, or to throw in your bag for the plane. Like I said, in addition to having these for lunch quite often, I will also put RX bars in my bag when I'm out uh, traveling for the day. So uh, if I'm hungry, I can just get a little something to eat and I don't get you know grumpy as I go to my various meetings. While I've always liked the idea of meal bars, I've just never found ones that I liked. So often you get them with the best of intentions, but they just don't taste that good. So you don't end up eating them. That has not been the case with RX bars. These things are delicious. I really like them. They've got flavor. They don't taste like sawdust like so many of the competition. And best of all, they're easy to eat on the go or when you're sitting at your desk. And best of all, we've got a deal for you. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com MPU and enter promo code MPU at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com MPU and enter promo code MPU to get 25% off your own delicious box of RX bars. Jeff, one of the questions that we get all the time from uh, people who are in similar positions to you, they have to use a PC at work or a Mac at home, or or they prefer to use a Mac at home, but they have to use a PC at work, is um, how do you swap back and forth between apps? And and so what strategies have you found to cope with that? And I mean, not necessarily, you know, because you have to, but, you know, if you keep if, if you use for, I'm just going to pull some out of thin air, but if you use a specific calendar app, like you use Fantastical on your Mac, or, or there are certain replacements that you found on the PC side, or if you use a specific to-do list app on your Mac, you know, how do you sync that information back and forth? Or how do you get your workflows back and forth between those various apps? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, some things work great. You know, Microsoft Word, for example, you know, it doesn't really matter whether I'm using a PC or a Mac. It, it, it just works fine. And there are some some software that I could not live without, like 1Password, for example. Just 1Password works great on all the platforms. So I don't have to think about that. Um, but there are others that aren't, you know, my Mac is configured to connect to my uh, my company's Exchange server. So in theory, 
I can use the mail app that's on my Mac. Um, but I find that it just it's not 100% the same as using TrueBlue Outlook on a PC. And even though you can use Entourage or Outlook on a Mac, it's it's still not 100% the same. I, I will tend to, if it's just so easy to get remote access that I will often just have a remote access window and just use Exchange that way. And now part of this is specific to me. We at my company, we have specific plugins to um, Exchange on the PC, things like our document management system and stuff like that, that it's not that, you know, the email wouldn't work on the Mac, it's just the plugins aren't there. But so for some things, I, I just do that. Um, you know, for my calendar, it's all just Exchange calendar. You know, the, the one thing that's interesting to me is in many cases, where um, my, we're gonna talk about iOS in a second, but my iPad and iPhone do a better job uh, being consistent with my PC than the Mac does sometimes. You know, my ma mail on my iPad and, and iPhone work great and I have no problems with them. It's only mail on the Mac that sometimes has little silly things. Like sometimes my uh, my signature will show up as, an, as a text attachment. I don't understand that one and, and silly things like that. So, um, uh, you know, one of the things that Apple has announced is that they're going to make it easier in, in another year or so for developers of iOS apps to turn those apps into Mac apps, if I understand that correctly. Project Marzipan. There you go. I'm hoping it will up the game on the Mac and give us better um, better Mac apps. You know, a perfect example, Katie, is the document management system that we use at our firm, which is called iManage. There is no Mac app for that. There could be a Mac app. There's no, there's no, no reason there shouldn't be one, but um, but there isn't. But they have an iOS app, and so if that iOS app was just turned into a Mac app, it would be it would be great. But they don't have that. Now, having said that, that's a in some ways a bad example because the new version of iManage is moving towards being web based. And once they are truly web based, then maybe I'll just be able to use you know Safari or Firefox or whatever to access it in the Mac. But um, but th th those are issues. You know, you deal with them. And then the second category, which you kind of implied, is sometimes software developers just do a better job making the iOS app than the Mac app. Absolutely. There's so many more iOS devices, they'll just probably look at the numbers and just put more more resources into it. I think, frankly, not entirely, but but to a large extent, the the Microsoft suite is better on iPad and iPhone than it is on Mac. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, Microsoft, it amazes me, maybe because I've been using the Mac for so long, I'm still, you know, thinking of the days when Mac and, and PC were, were not as friendly. Uh, it amazes me that Microsoft Word on my iPad is fantastic. I, I like it better than than Word on my PC because it takes out some of the nonsense. It's just, it's just a pure writing experience. It works great. Um, are there any big areas missing? I mean, what, what are the points where your Mac isn't up to the job and you need to go to the PC? I guess you, other than Outlook. Yeah, and that one, and it's the vertical uh, software for for law firms, things like our document management system and some of our you know contact management systems and some of those you know specific enterprisey type things that don't exist on the Mac. Um, I mean, but having said that, to even say it's a whole is an exaggeration because, like I said, remote access is so easy, and um, and you know, lots of times I'm not going to be necessarily doing that stuff on my Mac at home. Um, if I actually had a Mac. You know, in my office during the day between nine to five, it would be more of an issue for me. But um, but for the the way that I'm using a Mac and a PC together, um, it works great. It works fine. And let me ask the opposite question of that: Are there any areas now where the PC excels that the uh, the Mac should look at at maybe uh, Sherlocking a little bit? Yeah, I mean, my, my main answer to that is that it's just my personal PC is faster, and that's because of that SSD. So uh, one day that will change for me. Bring bring your iMac over to my house. We'll we'll uh, we'll rip it open. It'll be fine. We'll do it. We'll do it together. <laughs> Katie will get out her spatula and her suction cups. 
We're going to do surgery on your iMac, Jeff. Uh, I'm ready. I'm in your hands. Well, and see, it's it's win-win, because if we break it, you get a new Mac. You just have to change the way you look at this. So, makes sense to me. I'm not sure my wife will agree with that logic, but uh, I don't see any flaws in it. We'll just tell her we said it's okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, let's talk. Now, Jeff, you are famous for being the iPhone JD. At, at what point did you realize there was a hole in your heart the size of an iPhone? Gosh, I, I mean, th- this is really my my tech love is mobile technology. I've been using mobile technology, you know, as long as I can remember. I remember when I was in college in the 80s, I had one of these um, sharp organizers that was my calendar and my email. And, and people sort of looked at me like I was strange because I wasn't using a paper device. But I just it just made so much sense to me to have something relatively small of course, big by today's standards, that you could carry with you and have with you the whole time. It, it, I, I've always thought of it as being my extra brain. I don't need to waste my brain cells remembering dates and facts and figures and notes because I can just put that in something that's always with me. So I, I used those things, even though they had limitations. When the Palm Pilot came out, uh, you know that was really exciting for me. And even though the initial ones you know, didn't have much connectivity, it was all just syncing when you were nearby a computer, it was just so nice to have something in my pocket the whole time. So I was a big Palm user. I used a BlackBerry for a while. I used a a good link device back when they were making hardware. And then um, the Trio 650 was sort of the the epitome of that for me because you could finally use third-party apps, and um, you know I was I, I loved my trio, but it was right right around the mid 2000s that all the rumors started coming out that Apple was going to make some sort of a cell phone, and I was really excited about that because I've always loved Apple stuff, you know, always thought it was superior, um, and I and I wanted a great mobile device, and it it just seemed like it was going to be all of the worlds coming together for me, and so in 2007 when Apple announced the iPhone, I was so excited. And then I was so disappointed when I realized that that first iPhone was just not going to work for me because it did not work with Microsoft Exchange, which my firm used. Of course, there were no third-party apps, and it was slow. And you know, at that time, I knew that 3G was a thing, even though 3G was still relatively new. So I didn't get that first iPhone. But that second iPhone, the 2008, the iPhone 3G, that was the sweet spot for me. And I just loved it. You know, Finally, we had apps. Um, it worked with Exchange, so I had my, my work email on it, my personal email on it, every, my contacts, everything was there in one place and, and I loved it. So, um, so that, that's, that's when I sort of got excited and then it, it wasn't too long after that that I started the, uh, the blog iPhone JD. Yeah. And if I recall from reading your blog, I think you you basically bought every new one since then. Oh, yeah. I get a new one every year and then they sort of get passed down through my family as I'm done with them and stuff like that to my, my wife and my son and my daughter and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, are you uh, so what are you currently carrying an iPhone 10? iPhone 10, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, there are the rumors that this year they're going to come out with a bigger version of the iPhone 10, which I'm, I've never been a fan of the Plus models. I just think that they're too big. Um, it, it, I always say it reminds me of the old uh, Maxwell Smart, uh, you know, Get Smart TV shows where he holds up a shoe to his face and he's talking in a shoe. When I see people talking on those really big ones, I just, I, I've, I've never gotten to the Plus size, but, but I've always loved the high-end iPhone and gotten those every year. I remember the first time I saw someone talking into one of the bigger phones back when the iPhone was much smaller than it is now. And I thought it looked ridiculous. But then, of course, a few years later, of course, I had one. So I guess I got used to it. I, I still think they're ridiculous. Yeah, as I compare the size of the original iPhone to was it the, the, the 5S when they got taller and then now the 10. I mean, they've definitely got bigger over the years. Um, although I like the fact that the 10 is a, a bigger screen with smaller bezels. So it sort of you know does the impossible. You get more screen space without a bigger device. That That's amazing. 
Yeah, as we record this, we're a mo- about a month shy of Apple announcing the new phones, assuming they follow what they do every year. In September, they'll announce new phones. And there is a big rumor that the iPhone 10 body style will get a, a larger version. And that will immediately throw me into an existential crisis because it was really easy for me with the iPhone 10. There was just one size, so I didn't have to decide between the two. But uh, listeners, you can just put a pin in this because I will... Um, be going through that whole problem with you intimately in a month. Oh boy. How much, Jeff, are you using your iPhone? Because I, I know from reading your blog, it's obviously iPhone JD, but you've, and we'll talk about the iPad in just a minute, you've converted a lot of your work over to iPad workflows. Um, how much of, are you using your iPhone now for actual work? And, and where's that divide? What are you using iPhone for versus what are you using um, iPad for? Yeah, I'm surprised how much I still love using the iPhone. I mean, if I would hate to have to choose between an iPhone and an iPad, but just because of its size, you know, I love the iPhone and I really can get so much work done on it. I, uh, you know, so much of my work is communication and, and dealing with emails, which which works just fine on the iPhone. And, you know, as silly as it sounds, the version of Microsoft Word, you know, Word's a big part of my life. I'm a lawyer. I, I write words. That's what I do. I'm, I mostly do appellate work. So I write a lot of big big briefs. Um, but if you're document intensive like I am, whatever your profession is, you know, Microsoft Word on the iPhone, it, it works really well for reading things. You can make little revisions. I mean, you're not going to draft the next big novel on an, on, a, on an iPhone. But when I have opposing counsel send me a document that I can just quickly look at in Word, put in some red line edits, uh, and then send that back to them. I mean, that's amazing. And that's you can do that from wherever you are. So the iPhone is still a, a, you know, a real big part of my life. When it comes to more serious work, of course, the bigger screen of the iPad makes all the difference. But I'm amazed how much I get done on the iPhone all the time. I think one of the things that Microsoft really got right with the iOS version of Word, which runs on both the, the phone and the iPad, is track changes because that is an obvious thing that people are going to want to do with a small screen is review and change a little word here and there or make a comment and it just the the workflow for that is so easy Uh, i find myself using it all the time as well yeah and you know just this morning for example i was on a conference call and i was sitting in another attorney's office and i was talking with an attorney in texas and i had to send him something and as i'm sitting there on my iPhone, I'm you know drafting him a message, adding an attachment to the message, which happened to be one of those documents on Dropbox I was talking about before, and I'm all just sitting there doing it within 15 seconds on my phone, and as we're talking, I'm saying, oh, and I just sent you the file that you need. I mean, that's incredibly powerful, very useful. Or, or when you have a client, or let's say, take it out of a law practice, a customer that calls you and asks a question, and they want some document that you worked on with them two or three years ago, and you can send it to them, before you hang up the phone. It's it's really powerful. And it shows that you've got your act together too. So for your iPhone use day to day, are you just carrying the the plain iPhone 10? Are you carrying it in one of these, you know, fancy wallet cases? Are you just carrying it with a, a simple case? I know you you review a lot on iPhone JD. What's your current carry? So I, for a couple of years now, I've been using the leather cases that Apple sells just because I think that they're nice, um, that, you know, they feel the leather feels nice, but more importantly, they're really thin. I, I prefer to have something as small as possible for a case. And my, my real preference would be not to use a case at all. Back when I used to use the 4S and the 5S, which had more of the, the boxy sides to them, I really liked that form factor because I could hold the iPhone in my hand and it was not going to slip out. Ever since Apple has made the sides curved, uh, you know, they do look better. I have to admit 
they're more sexy, but they're also more slippery. And so since then, I will usually keep it in that case. And then sometimes if I'm just, you know, working in one spot or, or I, I don't feel like I need it, I'll take the, the case off because I still prefer the feel of just the, the naked iPhone, as you will, um, in my hand. But I, the case is on it most of the time. But it's a real thin case. Yeah, I uh, I used to really enjoy the leather cases, but when I got the iPhone 10, I really wanted to use a caseless because it was just so pretty. Um, but it's also not as slippery, I think, as the uh, six and seven series, but 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 slippery enough and so expensive to fix. But even if you have Apple Care, um, I ended up using a case for it, but I was just not happy with it. So I ultimately went out and got a clear case for it. So and, and it's just um, you know a little thin clear case, but it has just enough grippiness to it that I feel like I'm not going to drop it out of my uh, hand. So I feel like I've got the, it's it's not a super premium case by any means. I think it was like $9 on Amazon or something, but it gives me the best of both worlds of still having the grip, but yet being able to see the phone. So I've tried those too, Katie, but I actually find, and maybe it's a difference between being a, a you know a guy or, or a gal, but I often put my iPhone in my pocket on my shirt, and I uh, found that the 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 one that you're that the style that you're talking about was just a little too grippy, and it was a little too hard to pull in and out, and so the leather was sort of the good um, in between for me that it, it gives you some friction, but it still is not you know it'll move. Yes, I never. I never put my iPhone in my in a shirt pocket. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's like a rookie mistake, Jeff. I mean that that's how they break. That's the shirt pocket. That's how iPhones fall into toilets. Yeah, that, that too. I, yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but, but that too. But you were all thinking it, so I just said it for you. Well, I've been using an iPhone for a decade. It has not happened to me yet. Knock on wood. You know, you just said that now. So please, please stay tuned to iPhone JD next week, where you'll read about Jeff. Jeff's cracked iPhone <laughs> that fell in the toilet. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I I uh, have not had a case on my iPhone 10. I was walking around in Illinois at MaxDoc, and everybody it was like every time I pulled my phone out, people like they panicked just looking at me using it caseless. But I have Apple Care, and I figure you know what, whatever. And the uh, it hasn't broken yet, but I'm very careful. Like I have one pocket that it goes into. It's in a pants pocket, uh, you know. It's never in my shirt pocket, but the, uh, but the, uh, I, I guess, you know, everybody has their own degree of risk. So we're going to talk about the iPad in, in just a few minutes, but before we move away from the iPhone, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the things that you use the iPhone for. Are there any tasks you do exclusively on the iPhone and any apps that you want to talk about that are really just iPhone apps before we, we move on to the, to the iPad that we should, we should know about? You know, probably not, Katie. I mean, everything I do in the iPhone, I can do in the iPad. I certainly do things like use Twitter a lot more on my iPhone, which Twitter I use for, you know, keeping up with the news and enjoyment. But I also use Twitter a lot to find things to to link to on on my website, on PhoneJD. So, I mean, not that that's work. That's sort of my hobby. So I use Twitter for that. But um, obviously, I don't really use Twitter in my legal job that much. Um Pretty much everything else is is really there on both platforms, and I, and I like the idea that I that I can just so seamlessly go back and forth between the iPhone and the iPad and and the PC and the Mac. Two questions on that. First, what's your Twitter handle? Jeff Richardson. All right, so I'd recommend following that. And what, but iPhone your... JD also has one too, right? Yeah, iPhone JD is just an automatic post. Every time I have a new post on the website, it just shows up on iPhone JD. So if you're using Twitter just to like alert you to, to news, that's the one to follow. If you have any interest in what I have to say about the world, which is mostly iPhone related too, that's uh, that's Jeff Richardson. And then second, which uh, Twitter app are you using? 
Um, I'm using Tweetbot. I, I have tried Twitterific, and uh, I you know whenever they have an upgrade, I pay for it because I want to support those guys because they came up with so much of the uh, you know they were tw- there's so, so much about Twitter that they're responsible for. And I'll and I'll go back and I'll try it a little bit, but I keep coming back to Tweetbot. I just love the interface, uh, everything about it. I I really like. I feel exactly the same. <laughs> I just I just finished a three month Twitterific run, and I'm like, you know what? I just missed Tweetbot, and it, I just. For some reason, that way that app works just jives with the way my brain works. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Smile and the amazing PDF Pen suite of applications. You can learn more by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. PDF Pen is your all-purpose, powerful PDF editor tool for Mac and iOS. It lets you do things like add signatures, text, images, make changes to and correct typos in your PDFs, and a whole lot more. And not only is PDF Pen available on the Mac, but you can take it on the go with you wherever you go with PDF Pen for iOS as well. PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone lets you edit your PDFs anywhere you are, whether it's to sign contracts, scribble notes, add highlights to documents, make changes, fill out applications, and a whole lot more. There is nothing more liberating than getting a document and email, being able to open it up on your phone, and right then and there, drop in a signature, correct a typo, do whatever you need, and then send it right back off without ever having to leave your phone. And if you're someone like me who lives and breathes in PDFs for your work, you're going to love being able to view and manipulate those PDFs on your iPad. With PDF Pen, you can quickly share your documents back and forth, whether it's from Mac to iPad and back again, because you can share all of your documents with iCloud Drive, Dropbox, Google Drive, Microsoft OneNote, and other files-compatible apps. PDF Pen for iOS lets you read and edit PDF documents on your iPhone or iPad. You can also add highlights and freehand scribbles. You can insert notes, comments, and annotations. You can even record and playback sound annotations. PDF Pen makes it easy for you to draw shapes, including lines, arrows, rectangles. You can correct text in an original PDF, and you can annotate with proofreading marks and stamps. It has never been easier to manipulate your PDFs. You can also easily fill out and sign forms with PDFs, swap around pages, just about anything you can do, you can do from the palm of your hands with PDF Pen. You can learn more about PDF Pen by heading over to smilesoftware.com slash podcast and see all of the great features that PDF Pen has to offer and watch some of their online tutorials. So go check out PDF Pen and thanks to Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, Jeff, we've teased it. Um, I know you've made the switch over to, t- well, I don't want to say switch because you use everything. Um, but let's talk now about the iPad. So to start off with, what's your current iPad? So I'm using the um, the iPad Pro with the 12.9 inch. And I love, it's the opposite of what I just said about the iPhone. Even though I, I don't like the super big iPhones, I love the iPads bigger. And, you know, if, if they could maybe even make it a little bit bigger, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. Because for me, the iPad is, it's the, it's the paper replacement. I, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, lawyers, and I'm sure this is true in other businesses, were talking about, you know, being paperless. And I was like, yeah, that's sounds great. 
great, but you know, the reality is we have paper, right? But when the iPad came out in 2010, I realized, wow, I can start putting all my documents on here and I can have every document that matters right there on my iPad. And of course you can do the same thing with a laptop computer, but the iPad is is even smaller and even lighter and I'm going to carry it with me anywhere, everywhere anyway. So I just, I love the huge screen. I love that with my 12.9 inch iPad Pro, if I turn it, although usually I use it in landscape mode, if I turn it in portrait mode, it's basically the same size as a letter size, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And so it has made me just about as paperless as I could possibly be. Everything that comes into my office, my secretary scans, or, or nowadays most of the stuff comes in a digital form anyway, it, it gets itself on the iPad, it lives there, and no matter where I am, every, everything that I need is just right there on the iPad, and I love it. One of the things I like about Jeff is that you are unapologetically a 12.9 inch iPad, iPad <laughs> fan. Absolutely. There aren't that many of you. I mean, most people like I call it the lunch tray, even though I like mine, but I, I, you are just all in with the big iPad. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just works so much better. And I, I had an iPad mini when it first came out and it was sort of cute. Um, when you use an iPad pro for a while now, when I look at my wife's, you know, regular size, quote unquote, regular size iPad, it looks to me like a mini cause it's so small in comparison. So do you, um, do you use a smaller iPad for anything? I mean, are you using the bigger iPad for everything? Like, are you are you reading on it? Are you surfing the web on it? Are you is it you're you're all in? Yeah, really, just about everything. There was a time period when the iPad Mini first came out. I actually sort of carried around two iPads. I know that sounds crazy, although I know David. No, it doesn't because we know people who do, but I still think it's crazy. But you know, yeah. I would sometimes have an iPad and then the iPad, it's like the iPad mini would be like a second screen on the side and it might have one thing and the iPad with another thing. But with the iPad, with the 12.9 inch iPad pro that solved all of that because I can, now that we have the ability to multitask and if I need to have two things on the screen at one time, very easy to do that. And then when I'm done with that, I can just push an app to the side and it's gone. But um, but I'm using the iPad for everything. So just to give you an example, um, you know, all of the documents that I'm receiving, as I described before, are on the iPad. And if they're public documents, they're in Dropbox. I use Goodreader to sort of organize all of that stuff and sync it with Dropbox. And I use, uh, and I use it a lot for annotation. A big part of my job is getting a document you know, sometimes from my opponent, for example, uh, opponent's counsel, and I will get the document and I'll use my Apple Pencil and I'll go through and I'll mark it up and I'll circle it and I'll highlight it and make all my notes to myself so that I can draft my response and and everything's there. I, um, I also love to take handwritten notes with my iPad. GoodNotes is the app that I like to use for that. And I love my Apple Pencil. That's like, you know, right up there with the AirPods is one of the most amazing magical Apple devices ever. And I, uh, whenever I go to meetings or uh, in court, often I will just take notes on my iPad using the pencil. And I like that because everything is, I mean, first of all, it's nice to be digital because you can easily erase and change colors and all that sort of stuff. But I like that all of my notes are just there if I ever need to go back in time and find an earlier note. Or because GoodNotes has built-in OCR, I can just do a search of, you know, gosh, I know six months ago I talked about, you know, the contract, and I can just do a search for the word contract and find where the notes are that I have it. Um, I also just, the, the, you know, a lot of people that I see will go into meetings with their laptops and they'll, you know, type on the keyboard, everything that's said in the meeting. And I've, I've read this on the internet and I think it's true because at least it's true for me. Because you read it on the internet, it must be true. Exactly. I have seen that there are studies by smart people at places like Harvard and stuff that say that when you are in a meeting and if you're taking notes, 
if you write on, if you have a keyboard and you type, your brain sort of instinctively makes you want to transcribe the meeting, to write down every word. But if you are taking notes with a pen or pencil, and this works just as much with a stylus on an iPad, you can't write down every word. That's impossible. And so by definition, you're sort of summarizing the meeting or the hearing or whatever it is as you go. You're just writing down the important concepts. And and the studies say that just the fact that you have only written down the important concepts, it helps you remember the important stuff even more. And so many times I'll take notes on my iPad and I'll never look at them again, although it's nice to know that they're there as a security blanket if I need them. But just because I've taken the notes by hand as opposed to typing on a, a laptop, I feel like I've learned more from whatever it was I was taking notes from. And then, and of course, if I want to share them, I can just export them as a PDF and that works, that works great. So, um, so annotating documents, um, taking notes, um, you know, of course, the email and calendars and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, then, and then, like you said, Katie, just, you know, browsing the web, whatever I need to do, um, you know, it, it just all works. Walk me through that good notes workflow. So you, 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 you specifically your note taking workflow, you, you want to take notes on something. So you pull out the good notes, you pull out the pen, you start taking notes. So you've got your notes on the iPad, you've, you've got the screen cluttered cluttered and that's not the word I want to use but but you filled up you know several virtual you know pads of paper with notes what happens next take us through that they just stay there. And I, what I do is I have a different notebook within GoodNotes, um, which you can make a cover on and, you know, put the name of the, you know, for me, for example, a lot of it has to do with a lawsuit. So, you know, the Smith versus Jones case. So I'll have a virtual notebook within GoodNotes called Smith v. Jones. And um, and maybe even put like my matter number there if I need to, to go back and see that number again for billing purposes or the client's name and phone number, you know, whatever those things. But then within that virtual notebook, I just have pages upon pages. And so when I have cases that will last for years, I may have, you know, hundreds of pages all within that virtual notebook. And I just know that everything's there. And like I said before, if I need to do a search within that notebook, I can go back and find stuff. And that's nice because the nature of your work is such that you do have cases that go on for years. Um, but uh, one of the nice things about GoodNotes is you don't have to do it that way. If you've got like smaller projects, you can combine them into notebooks. Uh, well, one question I have is I, I, I've tried to make GoodNotes kind of like a daily habit with me. I do have you know, the fancy paper notebook and pen that I carry around with me. And occasionally I get the idea of, you know, what if I got rid of that and just did this digitally? And I always feel like uh, the experience of writing on glass versus writing on paper isn't exactly what I expect. And my writing does deteriorate. I mean, if you look at my writing on an iPad versus my writing on a notebook, it's pretty, um, it's, it's not very good on the iPad. Is that something you've kind of got over or have you figured a way around it? It's there, you know, I can, it's not, uh, it's not quite as good to take digital notes using an Apple pencil on an iPad as it is to use, um, you know, your favorite pen on a sheet of paper. And a, and a perfect example of that is this, um, when I'm in court, if I am arguing a motion, so while I'm listening to my opponent speak, I'm taking notes and I'm jotting on the side what I'm going to say in response. I want to be able to write as fast as possible to capture everything within the limited amount of time that we have. And I always use pen and paper for that. I just do. But if I am monitoring a hearing, you know, if I'm not as time sensitive, then I pretty much, or if I'm in a meeting or conference or whatever, then I pretty much always prefer to use 
the iPad because even though I agree with you, it, it's I'm a little bit slower. Um, I don't know that my penmanship's any worse, but I, I it's it's not uh, it's not quite as good. But then the benefits of once you have things captured and the ability to move things around, and I can even take something from one page and moving it from page four to page six, all the things that you just can't do with with regular paper or, or search it. You know, you can actually search it. Search it, yeah. So I mean, the advantages so far outweigh it. Um, but I agree with you that the 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 actual app of act of writing and and I say this as someone, you know, the first generation iPad, I was um, using a stylus with it. If you if you look at my iPhone JD website, I must have, I don't know, dozens and dozens of reviews of styluses. I could have had like a cottage industry of stylus reviews on my website because I was always looking for that purchase web for that perfect stylus, and they all had drawbacks of one sort of the other. And then of course Apple comes out with the pencil and it just blows everything else away. And now um, you know, it's so close to the, to using a pen that that it's it's worth it. Uh, and GoodNotes is working on a big update. Uh, I met with those guys at WWDC. It's going to get even better. I mean, I, I've always I always felt like their pen recognition was the best. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I and I'm I'm beta testing the new one, and it's even better. But in terms of just like the the act of drawing on the screen, that's that's something that they really they got that engine down. Consistent with what you're saying, David, sometimes if I have a document to annotate, you know, a lot of times I annotate in Goodreader or in on uh, uh, PDF Expert Pro, one of those apps. But GoodNotes is so good that I will often import just a regular old document in there just because I know it's going to be great for annotating on top of it and then exporting that as a PDF. Um, yeah, I get it. I get it. They, um, now, now, if someone is listening and they're they're starting to see religion on this and they want to start using good notes to take notes with whatever it is they do every day, maybe you're a student or whatever. Uh, what's two or three tips you would give someone getting started with this to uh, to make it work? Well, one thing I, when you're writing, I think it's nice if you have access to a table, you know, sometimes you're just sitting in a chair somewhere and you just have to hold your iPad and that's a little awkward. But if you have access to a table, it's nice to have your iPad elevated just a little bit. And the perfect in my mind for that is the smart cover that Apple sells that you can sort of fold accordion style in three and, you know, give yourself just a little bit of an angle. That angle in my mind is perfect for writing. So anytime that I can have access to a table, that's just the best writing environment. And I would add to that, I have on my desk an Elevation Lab Surface, which is a much heavier device. And it's kind of a pain in the neck because it's big and bulky, but it has three angles, the lowest, which is, is very good for handwriting on an iPad. Does the kind of same thing, but it's, I think, more solid. Well, all right, that's one tip. You got any more? Hmm, I think that's about it. I mean, you you, you find your own personal style um, with how you're gonna take notes and stuff like that, but uh, but no. Yeah, the, and the other one I would add is don't forget that you can shrink and expand the paper. If you're worried about your writing, you can change the size of the surface you're writing on, and that really helps once once you figure that out. Um, and then the, going back to even earlier in the conversation I've had, you said you use Good Notes. We have lots of people that come on the show that talk about PDF Expert, PDF Pen. I don't think we have anybody talk about PDF a good reader, uh, or good mean, notes. Good I'm reader. a good reader. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of people talk about other apps, but I don't think we've had anybody talk about Goodreader in years on the show. I remember it was the first one, but a lot of people moved past it. But um, I know, and I will admit that if I was talking to a different Jeff Richardson who was getting started today, <laughs> I would probably say start fresh with something else because Goodreader was um, it was fantastic years and years ago because it was I mean it it was great at handling documents and I love how it could sync with Dropbox or other things, but it was sort of like a, a Swiss army knife. You could do 
anything with documents. I could split PDF files. I can add things. Anything I needed to do, we could do. And Archives, that app, whatever. Ar- yeah. yeah, whatever you wanted. And it is definitely getting long in the tooth. And the developer of the app, there's there's a there's a whole other interesting story about the developer. He he lived in Russia. He got one of those Einstein visas to come to America years ago. He said he was planning a good reader app. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll post on iPhone JD because I still use this app. You know, here's the latest thing he posted that it's coming soon. It's coming soon. And he's been saying that for years now. He's clearly working on something. And I, I hope that, you know, tomorrow, someday soon is the day when Goodreader sort of leaps ahead and, and is better than all these other ones out there. It, it works well enough for me. I mean, and I'm so, it's just like when you find something that you know, and you're in the groove, I can be so efficient with it that it works well for me. But, um, but again, p- folks like the, you know, the Riedel folks with the PDF expert and stuff, there are other apps out there that, that frankly are, are a little bit better today. Now you had mentioned you do all a lot of other stuff like email and surfing and things like that on your iPad. Are there any of those tasks that you prefer to do on your iPad? Hmm. I, I mean, if I can do it on my iPad, I pretty much always prefer to, um, because the screen is just so much nicer. And, um, you know, if, if I can do stuff on my iPad, you know, when it comes to when I'm at the office and I'm just just doing core writing in Microsoft Word. I, I know Word well enough. I mean, I've been using Word since the 1980s that I, even though Word is beautiful on an iPad and it works great, I, I usually, when I have both choices in front of me, I usually just use the PC to, to type on, on my bigger keyboard and stuff like that. But um, but otherwise, just about everything else that I can do, I uh, I prefer to, to do with the, um, with the iPad. Why is that? Um, just because it, everything, it just seems like it's, it's the perfect combination of being, uh, it's, there's less cruft, it's more simple. And yet, especially as the iOS has advanced over the years, it's sophisticated and complicated enough to get real stuff done. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I put together a keynote. I'm actually putting together a keynote presentation right now for something I'm doing on Saturday. And I could use um, Keynote on a Mac, or, and, I, and I know that you love to do that, David. I, I could use PowerPoint on my PC. But for me, I just like when I'm working with slides, something about, you know, putting my hands on the screen. And if I want something to move, I just use my finger and I move it. That just, it just seems like I'm more connected with the presentation that way. Um, plus when I give presentations, I always, you know, give them from my iPad in the first place. And I, and I just think there is an advantage to using the same device that is going to give the presentation as the one that I uh, created it in. So, um, so I, I really prefer doing everything on the iPad that I can. People are tired of me talking about Delight with the iPad, but does Delight play a role for you in the reason you pick up the iPad? Oh, absolutely. 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 And this goes back to what I was talking about in, you know, the mid 2000s when I found out that Apple was coming out with a phone. You know, I loved my Trio 650, but, you know, let's not kid ourselves. It was not exactly the best user experience for everything, which is why the iPhone blew everything away when it came out. And um, and I love that Apple has just taken that um, you know, the ability to delight and applied it to something that is such a part of what I do for work and fun every day. I, I had totally modded my Trio 650 like you. I had the Trio. <laughs> and I had, <laughs> I had all the Mac icons on it. And I, I had, you know, because you could actually go in if you were a super nerd back then and like put Apple assets. But I, you know, of course, the phone didn't exist. So my version of the Apple Trio 650 was like all the Mac icons and the Mac fonts and everything. <laughs> so when they announced the iPhone, it was pretty much a given. I was going to get one. 
before we get too far away from from this, you were talking about giving the presentations directly from your iPad. I know that's something that David's spoken extensively about. He's he's written the book on that. But I wonder um, how different is that workflow now? We haven't really found great uh, presentation devices and um, um, pointers and um, slide advancers and the ability to preview your slides from the iPad. How are you getting around that? Yeah, I mean, when I give presentations, I just tell people that I'm going to need to have the, my iPad um, wherever I'm going to be speaking from. If I have to have a podium, I will, but I really prefer not to be behind a podium because you're like you're like you're hiding. I prefer to have it on a table. And um, but I tell them, you know, I'm going to need that cord, whether it's HDMI or VGA or whatever. I'm going to need it to reach to me. Um, and then I, I have the little Apple adapter that that converts that into the Lightning port, and that all works fine. But so that's how I do it. So I'm not using a remote to advance slides. I'm just, you know, my iPad's right there in front of me and I can see the current slide on the left and the next slide on the right. Um, and that works that that works well. I, I know that the keynote has the ability to make that little make-believe um, red dot show up as if you're using a, um, a laser pointer. I, I really don't use it that often, but I, I guess it's there. Maybe one day I'll have a presentation that that makes sense for. And, and I would just update what Katie had said is for a long time that we uh, had trouble getting remotes to work with iPad, but now that's no longer a problem. Satichi makes several that stopped working with the initial release of uh, iOS 11, but I believe it was 11.2 that Apple fixed whatever the problem was. And now they work fine with it again. I'll tell you to a secret, but don't tell anybody else that a few years ago I was giving a presentation. This was when the Apple Watch was new. And, you know, they have an app. I, I, maybe it's called Remote. I forget on the Apple Watch that you can advance slides. And I found and I haven't used it recently, but at the time I found that it would work for a short period of time and then it would stop working. So I was giving a presentation and I used my watch to advance slides once or twice. Again, this is when the watch was new. And sure enough, one of the people in the audience was like, uh, Jeff, are you using your watch to advance? slides and I'm like, oh yeah, I am as if it was nonchalant. And they just they thought that was very funny. But uh but what I didn't want to tell them is and this that is only gonna work for, <laughs> where for they're laughing slides. at you. Of course. Oh I you. I completely embrace being a tech nerd. I have no problem yes. with that at all. <laughs> but but I also feel like just from the presentation standpoint, anytime you have to look down at your device to advance a slide, like you can do that with your phone too. And that's cool because you can see the next slide and all that. But you should know your presentation enough to know where it's going. And uh, anything that re requires you to break eye contact with your audience to advance a slide is going to be a huge distraction for you and the audience. So like if you if you watch an Apple presentation, they don't use that stuff. You know, I mean, they have a clicker, too. So, you know, get a clicker and uh, or or I like Jeff's idea of holding the iPhone. The other thing you could do is, um, you know, if you want to be a fancy boy, uh, just, you know, pack an Apple TV and bring it to the venue with you. And then you can create a, a little private network, plug the Apple TV into that HDMI, wherever it's at, and then you can walk around wirelessly. And I've done that myself, you know, brought my own Apple TV with me to give a presentation and that wows them. Yeah, I've done that before. And that is sort of cool. And like you say, it's impressive that you can be out there on the audience and, and pulling up your slides and stuff. That's, uh, that's pretty neat. David, you've talked in your books about, um, remotes that work with the iPad. Is there currently one that works with the iPad keynote? I can't remember. That's what I was going to say. Satichi makes a remote. Um, uh, I don't remember the exact name of it. There's two of them that I use, but the one that I really like is super basic. It's a cylinder. It's got a forward and a backward button and a laser pointer, and that's it. There's nothing else that you can do with it. And so the uh, so it's easy. You, know, you don't hit the wrong button with it, and it just fits in your hand. 
I will put a link in the show notes to it. I, I just don't remember the name of it, but it's, it's like one of, it's like aluminum. It's, it's one of their fancier remotes, but it works just fine. And, and I just, my wife gave a presentation at her work recently. I loaned it to her. We paired it to her iPad. It works fine with, um, you know, multiple iPads. It's a great thing. The, the one thing I always get from people whenever I recommend that remote is they say, well, how do you stop, um, video? Because a lot of times you'll embed a video in your slide and, and the remotes that have the pause button allow you to pause a video. And the trick to that is you just break the video into the pieces, the natural pausing points, and you make those individual slides. That makes sense to me. So if you've got a slide that's two minutes long and you want to pause it after one minute, you make the first, you, you have the video uh, stop after one minute, and that's slide number one. Slide number two is the video from one minute and one second through two minutes. So you don't have to fiddle with it. You don't have to try and get it to pause at exactly the right moment. You're doing that ahead of time. And then you can use a simple remote to make it work. But uh, Satichi is the one that I like, and it's a Bluetooth remote. And um, actually, while you're asking the next question, I'll look it up so I can tell everybody what it is before we end the show. Yeah, put a link in the show notes. I'll have to check that out. And then um, I saw, our, I, I, you were sitting there, Jeff, I think with me when we saw this. Our friend Victor Medina had one at a ABA Tech Show. I think that was a Logitech remote that would do a, a, a very interesting pointer thing on the where he could he could point at his computer screen and it would then project the pointer to the um to the actual screen i don't remember i'll have to look that up one of the reasons that i haven't i mean i may get one of these remotes because they're interesting one of the reasons that i haven't used them is often when i give presentations i guess it's just the nature of what i do i'm often giving presentations about using an iPad, you know, I'll be talking to a bunch of lawyers about how they can use an iPad when they do appellate litigation or something like that. And so I will have a slideshow, but then I will also break out of the slideshow and I will open up, you know, GoodNotes or Goodreaders or, 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 or Dropbox or whatever it was, or, or even just jump on the internet. And I will literally show them step-by-step step how I'm doing things on my iPad. And so for that reason, it often works well for me to be in front of the iPad. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't be walking around the room during the keynote portion of the presentation and then walk back. But that is, that's one of the reasons that I sort of prefer to stick close to the to the tablet. So, okay, so the one I have is the Satichi Aluminum Wireless Presenter Pointer. And like I said, it's my favorite one. It, it, the only thing, uh, it's, it, well, it's got three buttons. Like I said, the laser forward and backward. It does not use batteries. I wish it used batteries because, you know, it's got the micro USB that you plug in, but it's USB, so you never know. I'm always panicked that it's going to like run out of power at some point without me realizing it. So I'm always very manic about making sure. And you turn it off by holding the button on the bottom. And, you know, it does the thing where it does the flashing lights, but it's not like a hard button where you can say, yes, it's turned off, you know. But, uh, but either way, it, it works really good with the iPad. So if you present a lot with iPad and you want to have a remote, this is a great one because there's there's almost no way to make a mistake with it. There's nothing to look at. You can hold it behind your back and go forward and backward, and it doesn't matter. You know, if we're at a switching subjects point, I'm just as I'm thinking about hardware that I love to use with my iPad. There's one that I would be remiss if I didn't mention this very simple piece of hardware. There's a company called Thought Out, which makes something. They make a whole bunch of iPad stands, and they make one called the Simplex tablet holder. It's about thirty bucks, and it's just a. It's just basically a piece of of hard. Um, I don't know, steel, iron, something, or some sort of a hard metal that I sit right there on my desk, and it holds my iPad at the perfect angle. It's incredibly strong. So I could 
you know, push with my finger on the iPad screen and it's not going to fall over or anything like that, which is sometimes a risk when you're using the Apple smart cover uh, folded up. And um, it, it is it is my dual monitor setup in my office. A lot of people have a, a computer with two monitors. I have my one monitor with my computer and then I have my iPad sitting on that simplex holder and it, it gives it just a little bit of a height and it has the perfect angle. And I it's a simple accessory that I, I really love. And that's a fixed angle one, correct? It's a fixed angle one, and it doesn't it doesn't clamp into the iPad. So I mean, it could work from anything from as small as the mini to if Apple comes out with something twice as big as the iPad Pro, it's going to still work. And it's super strong. So if you know burglars attack your office, you could probably use it as self defense. It's a uh, it's it's very useful. <laughs> I got turned on to one Jason Snell wrote about that got me using. It. It's the Above Tech um, uh, stand, and it is. It looks like an iMac stand, like an iMac foot that you clamp a um, iPad in. And the thing I like about it is it rotates, so you can turn it so it's a uh, it's a vertical view instead of a horizontal view. And when you're just writing on the iPad, having that extra few inches on the bottom actually helps a lot. I've seen those, but and I rotate mine all the time in the stand too because it'll hold it in any orientation. And I agree. Sometimes I, when I'm looking at documents and I want it to look like a piece of paper, I will often have my iPad in portrait orientation. Um, but again, it's it's not clamped in. That that was what I was talking about when I mentioned being clamped in. You know, I don't know how those stands work. I mean, maybe they're flexible enough that when Apple comes out with a slightly different side for an iPad, a different size for an iPad in the future, they will still work. Um, I don't know how much uh, flexibility they have in that yeah but but as a guy who bought his first mac at the college bookstore i'll tell you putting a bluetooth keyboard and then turning the screen vertical feels a lot like those old days <laughs> you know when you sit at it this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by one password head over to onepasswordcom mpu in all caps to get 20 percent off we've been talking about one password on the mac power users for a long time now and that's because it's my favorite service to recommend. I may not tell someone to buy a Mac, but I will tell them to get one password. And that happened recently when I was visiting with an attorney friend. And in the middle of the meeting, he literally opened a desk drawer and pulled out a legal pad with all of his passwords on it. Of course, I questioned him on it. And then he told me his whole spiel about how it's safer than putting them in a digital locker. He figured because he's not putting on the computer that the hackers can't get it for him. But then I started talking to him about all the people that he works with that go in and out of his office every day. And then I started talking about all the people that come in to clean the office every night and asked him how many times he had opposing counsel in his office to do like a settlement conference when he's not present, which happens all the time, by the way, if you're a lawyer. And suddenly we had a pretty big list of people that had access to all of his passwords with really him having no idea whether they saw them or not. Everybody's got some home-baked solution for creating and storing passwords, and honestly, none of them are as good as 1Password. 1Password is made by a whole team of people that do nothing but sit around and obsess on how to protect your internet security. And guess what? When you get 1Password, you have really great security. Not only does 1Password help you generate safe and secure passwords, it also remembers them all for you, so you don't have to. So you get the benefit of both having great passwords, but also something that's easy to use. I'm going to give you an assignment this week on Mac Power Users. I want you to find someone in your life that would benefit from having a good password solution and reach out to them and convince them to use 1Password because it really is something that everybody should have. This isn't just a tool for us nerds. It's for everybody. 
Take a few minutes to teach a friend or a loved one how to use 1Password and they will thank you for it. And when you sign them up, head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get them 20% off. Now, I'm serious about this. I want you to go talk to somebody and help them get better at protecting their passwords this week. You know, it's only a question of time before they're really going to need that. and They're going to be very thankful toward you for helping them out. Once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off. And thank you, 1Password, for protecting us all. So, Jeff, I want to talk a little bit about iPhone JD. We alluded to it. Um, the short version, I think, is it's a it's a blog. It's a website. You can find it over at iPhoneJD.com. But tell us a little bit about your origin stories for iPhone JD. How did it begin? When did you decide to start blogging about the iPhone? How did it all start? Sure. I, you know, I've always been interested in technology and, and was reading blogs and, and, and law blogs, you know, for forever. And, um, and I always thought about maybe starting a blog one day. I had a friend of mine, he's friends of y'all too, uh, Ernest Fenson, Ernie Fenson, an attorney in New Orleans. He had one of the very first lawyer blogs called uh, Ernie the Attorney. Ernie the Attorney. Ernie, yeah. the attorney.net. And, um, and so Ernie and I would go to lunch together and he's like, Jeff, you got to have a blog. You know, he knew I was a tech person and I'm like, what am I going to blog about? You know, what I had for lunch or whatever. And then I've already told you about how mobile uh, technology has been a passion of mine for so long. So when the iPhone uh, came out, when the second iPhone came out, the 3G that I purchased in 2008, I was just so excited about the possibilities. You know, the app store was, was, was brand new and it just seemed like there was so much you could do with it um, that I said, you know, this might be something interesting to talk about. So I started the website in November of 2008. So it's it's almost been 10 years now. And, um, and at first, you know, just would talk into the wind. It seemed like I would just sort of, you know, talk about a product I used or reviewed every little mini reviews of everything I had that was interesting. And then, um, and then over time it started to grow. Uh, I know a lot of folks that listen to this podcast are probably very familiar with John Gruber and his Daring Fireball website. One of the things that happened early on with iPhone JD history was I did a tip, I did a, a post of like, you know, 10 tips with uh, the, whatever version of the iOS that there was in, in 2008. And uh, I guess there was enough interest in, interesting in there that John Gruber linked to it. And as y'all know, I'm sure you've had this happen to you too, when John Gruber links to something, you know, suddenly you go from having 100 hits a day on your website to having like 10,000 hits a day on your website. You were fireballed. There's a name for that. Fireballed, exactly. So it was, it was, it was great because even though though the website was new, a lot of, uh, sort of, certainly a lot of attorneys and a lot of other professionals that, you know, maybe a, a doctor or something else, but they're using their iPhone to get work done, they started to sort of pay attention to what I was doing. And so I just sort of, you know, rode that wave as the iPhone became more popular. You can look at charts of, um, like the ABA does a chart every year of what smartphones attorneys are using. And, you know, way back it was the BlackBerry. Every attorney had a BlackBerry. And then over time that went from being most of the market to pretty much none of the market. And at the same time, the iPhone market share went from being pretty much nothing to pretty much, you know, 75, 85, depending upon how you count it. And of course, a lot of attorneys use Android as well. But um, as the iPhone grew and more and more attorneys started using them, um, it was just great for me because there was new new apps coming out, new technology, new accessories, and you know, folks, companies would start to send me things and I would review them and write about them. And and I I was so passionate about using the iPhone that you know you do what you love, and so it was it was a great excuse for me to get to try out new things because I could write about them on the website. And then um, then of course the iPad came out in 2010. 
And although I didn't get one day one, I, I did get one later on that year. And then, then of course, that became, you know, perhaps even more interesting to me than the iPhone, although I do love them both. And so the site has grown over the years and, and it's just been great fun. And I love the fact that many of the times when I am interacting with attorneys or non-attorneys from other parts of the country, they, you know, maybe they know about iPhone JD or they know about me or something like that. And that's, that's, that's fun. I, I enjoy it. So it's, it's been a great 10 years and I plan to keep on doing it as long as I can. Just some basics about how you set up the site. Did you um, just decide to set up a WordPress blog one day? Uh, talk a little bit about just the technicalities of deciding, okay, I'm going to start blogging and then doing it. Yeah, you know, I wish I had used WordPress from the beginning, but at the time, I did not know what platform to use because I didn't know anything about blogging. And um, our friend Ernie Svensson had suggested that I try out something called Type a TypePad, which is what I still use today. And TypePad is fine, but it's another example, much like the Goodreader app I was talking about earlier, that if I was starting from scratch today, I wouldn't start on TypePad. I would start on something that's got much better abilities to, um, uh, what's it called, when the, the screen dynamically changes as it gets bigger and smaller. Or, um, the uh, dynamic web size pages and stuff like that. It, it, it doesn't have quite as much of the bells and whistles as other stuff. Re responsive design. Thank you. Thank you. Responsive design. Having said that, for what I'm doing, I mean, this is not some major design project. This is just me writing some words, taking some pictures with the camera of what this product looks like for an accessory and just sticking it in there. It works. It works fine. It works just fine. And um, so that that's from a, from a software standpoint, TypePad is what it is. I have, um, <laughs> I have a ridiculously simple system of keeping track of things for the website, which is just that I have a um, an email address for the website, just jeff at iphonejd.com. And whenever I come across something during the week that looks interesting to me, I just send an email to myself. And then every Thursday night, as I'm sort of, uh, every Friday I have a post on iPhone JD about interesting links from, from the past week. And I just go through my emails. And if somebody sent me something that they think I would like, it's right there in my inbox. If I, uh, things that I've sent myself are right there. And by the time Thursday night is over, I've gotten sort of down to an inbox zero <laughs> and everything that is there is either showed up on the website or not. So it's, uh, it's a very simplistic system for keeping track of things that I want to talk about, but uh, but it's worked. Honestly, my favorite websites are the ones where it's run by one person and it's an opinion that that is demonstrated not simply by you state writing opinion pieces, but by what you choose to link to and what you choose to say and what you choose to cover. Uh, I, I'd like to think Max Sparky is, is similar and Jeff's blog is one of those where I think it's just such a great experience because Jeff has an opinion and he's very thoughtful about stuff. So if you haven't read it, I recommend you go check it out. I mean, uh, Jeff, when, when Jeff reviews a product, he really goes in depth on a product and, and really lets you know what works and doesn't work. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, I understand when you started, it was just a few people reading it, but I was following you from very early and I always knew that the website would be successful because it's just such good quality. Yeah, I tend to, to write uh, whenever I'm attacking things, you know, if I'm if at work, if I'm working on a brief, I am going to go super deep into it. And the end, you know, I'm going to find every legal authority there is. I'm going to read every statute that I just that's just who I am. That's why I love being a lawyer. And I approach writing on iPhone JD the same way. If I'm going to review a product, I want to, you know, take pictures from every angle. I want to talk about all the different ways I use it. And sometimes I look at how many words I've written on a product and I'm like, the product only costs 20 bucks. I've probably put too many words on this, but um, but at least you'll know that it's it's not something that was written in five minutes. Um, I some of, what are some of the products that you've really that you've really come to love over the years running iPhone JD and being a power user on the iPhone and the iPad? 
Well, I don't know if we want to get into like the legal specific apps because this isn't a lawyer show. I have a bunch of those as well. Um, I don't know, David. Otherwise, I think I've hit a lot of the. I think I've hit a lot of the main ones that we've talked about. Um, I, I love that there are new things, you know, coming out every day. And um, yeah, that's one. That that's definitely one of the exciting things about mobile. I mean, uh, we've you and I have both been using. And Katie's been using a Mac basically her whole life, and uh, you don't get as much movement as you do on on mobile. You know, and it's just like things are changing a lot with the iPhone, and the iPad, and that's one of the reasons why it's so exciting to spend time with them. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that I'm currently uh, interested in, and I know that you know far more about this than I do because uh, you and Rose, David, have that, um, has your, have your blog, but have your uh, podcast. But I love the automation ideas with workflow, soon to be shortcuts. And that's just something that I, I do not consider myself a power user on that. But the workflows that I have are fun and delightful. And I love it when I can just do a few things and have something very complicated occur. And, you know, I know we're in the baby stages now on iOS, unlike the Mac, where it's all pretty, pretty mature. But I, I just can't wait to see what we're going to be able to do in a year or two as this stuff develops uh, and gets even further along. Yeah, and, and we're going to be covering that on MPU as well. But I, I feel like um, automation that as provided through workflow and Siri shortcuts is something that anybody listening to the show can do. It is not that hard. You just got to kind of get your, your mind around a few basics. But a good example for me is I have been tweeting out complaints about the way iOS saves files. Like if you just have a file you want to save to iCloud um, under several circumstances, you don't even get a chance to change the name, you know, and, you know, you say, I want to put this in iCloud. Okay. Where's it going to go? And it puts it there. And, you know, because Apple is so minimalist, they don't give the user hardly any control. And I had been whining about it on Twitter and I got thinking, wait a second, I could solve that problem. So I took five minutes to write a little workflow that inserts the current date and, you know, does a bunch of other stuff and lets me type in a name and, you know, whatever problems you have with iOS for, for the people that are stretching the limits like Jeff and a lot of our listeners, I think that that that's going to give you a way to solve your own problems. Yeah. Now, sometimes it can be too easy. And I'll give you an example of that. Last week, I have a simple little workflow that I use on my iPhone for just sort of keeping track of, you know, my weight. So I'll, you know, step on a scale and put my weight in. It just takes two seconds. And for some reason last week, I guess I can, I'm just so used to doing it so quickly that I just put in the wrong number two days in a row. I, I gave myself a nice little diet. And then suddenly I realized on my Apple watch, because I try to make my circles every day. And I realized that like, I was not getting anywhere on my red circles. And I had been on my treadmill for like 30 minutes. I'm like, what in the world happened here? This is crazy. And finally, I realized that with that simple little workflow, um, because I had put my wrong weight in, suddenly my uh, my watch and my, my iPhone thought that, oh, well, you know, he can't be burning that many calories if he's lost this much weight within 24 hours. So <laughs> be a little careful sometimes. <laughs> I say, Jeff's lost a lot of weight. We're going to reevaluate what he needs to do every day. <laughs> uh. It's like a victim of your own success or your own programming bug, as exactly. it may be. Exactly. No, I, I agree. I, I hope you cover some of that stuff on iPhone JD because I know a lot of people reading you would love to. Well, hopefully, we'd love to see more people get the bug for this stuff. I, I think that all of us need to spread the word far and wide about Siri shortcuts because I think it really is going to unlock a lot of power for these devices. What about like the basic stuff? Like you live in New Orleans. How do you track like weather and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I mean, the weather is certainly important here after going through Hurricane Katrina years ago. Um, I, I love weather apps and I, I've tried, I love trying different weather apps on my iPhone. The one that I'm currently really 
enjoying is the Carrot Weather app because, uh, you know, I first started using it because it has sort of the the silliness that it will, you know, say silly things to you or insult you. And that was sort of humorous. It reminded me of, you know, like an, an evil an evil robot or something. But um, but I stuck with the app because it is it does such a great job. It, it gets all the dark sky data. So it's very accurate for those micro forecasts for the next 60 minutes. It has, you know, great uh, radar maps. It's got a fantastic Apple Watch app. And, you know, I'll just say that when I got the Apple Watch, I fully expected that by now I would be using all of these third-party apps. But the reality is, even though I love my watch, most of the third-party apps, whether it's their fault or, or the Apple's fault, whatever, they, they just don't do too much for me. But Carrot Weather is one of the few that just works really, really well on my iPad. I love having a little complication that that tells me the forecast there and gives me more information than the built-in stuff. So that's, you know, I have lots of little bitty apps that I that I just love like that. I love Carrot Weather for my for my weather. I love Fantastical for my calendar. Um, I love, um, you know, Overcast is, you know, of course, a lot of us use Overcast for podcasts. I just love the death, love that that app to death and use it every single day. I think the trick with the Apple Watch is uh, apps that want to present you information and take advantage of that small screen or, or I guess design around that small screen. I feel like Carrot Weather does a better job than Apple's own weather app in terms of presenting information. And that's what makes me interested in using it. I, I feel like Fantastic Hell is similar. They they do a better job of presenting calendar data to my watch than the Apple Watch app does because the, the the inclination is to use the native apps because the native apps always have the latest information. They're always up to date. And that's got better recently. But, you know, you still, I think the, the thing a developer needs to do if they want to make an Apple Watch useful is present information to me coherently with just a tiny, tiny little screen which isn't easy. And I love that on the iPhone and the iPad, you know, a developer can just make a better mousetrap. I'm amazed as I sit here and look at my iPhone main screen that um, I still have the Apple built-in notes app on the main screen. I don't understand why, and there's certainly a bajillion third-party notes app out there, but that's one of the few, especially since Apple improved it a few years ago, that just does everything I want. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed as I look at the screen that I haven't adopted some third-party app that has some extra bells and, and whistles, because I certainly have done that for most of the other apps um, that are built in. What, what do you do with the Apple Notes app? I mean, because I know you use GoodNotes to take a lot of your notes type stuff. Yeah, but good notes is for like I'm in a meeting and I'm taking down notes and stuff. This the, the notes app on my iPhone and to a lesser degree on my iPad, but I don't use it on my iPad that much. This is just where I just jot stuff down. You know, I need to, you know, jot down a quick little, you know, something as a simple little grocery list or something, just some some things I want to note down, to jot down. It's, you know, years ago, I would probably find a, a sticky note or, or tear the corner off a sheet of paper and write something down and then lose it. 30 minutes later. Um, I love that I can just stick things in here, sort of an extra, has an extra brain. And, you know, sometimes it's stuff that I'm going to come back to very quickly. And sometimes it's, um, you know, things that I, you know, might not come back to for, for a while. I have, a, um, I'm seeing, I have a list of all the James Bond movies that I've been watching with my kids in here. We've worked our way up through, uh, through the living daylights in 1987. So we have a uh, golden eye coming up next. And, um, or I have like a packing list of things that I, you know, whenever I'm taking a trip, I'll just take a quick look and make sure I don't forget stuff. It's just a place to jot stuff down. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Start your free trial now and receive a $25 credit on any plan by heading over to sanebox.com MPU. So are you overrun with email? Are you frustrated every time you open your inbox? And are you getting a little lazy and maybe using your inbox as a de facto to-do list? SaneBox can help you solve all of those problems. SaneBox helps keep 
only the email that's important to you in your inbox and gets rid of everything else. SaneBox does this by learning what email is important to you, and it automatically filters out what isn't. It saves you hours of time, helping you to easily and quickly triage your email. The best of all, SaneBox works with all kinds of email programs and services. Do you use Apple Mail? Do you use Gmail? Do you host your own email service? Do you use the Apple Mail app? Do you use something else? It doesn't matter. SaneBox just works. You don't have to use any special app or service. The first thing they give you is great email filtering. First, they set you up with the Sane Later folder. What this does is it helps you keep in your inbox what really matters and moves everything else to later. Once you get the hang of that, you can start creating your own folders for snoozing emails or deferring emails or whatever you want to do. Let's talk about snoozing emails. It's great for deferring events until the next business day or maybe the weekend or maybe a specific time when you know you'll get around to it. Snoozing is great for emails that you know you need to deal with. You just don't want to deal with them right now, but you don't want to forget about them either. And if you really don't want to forget about something, check out Sane Reminders. Sane Reminders is an easy way to make sure that you remember to follow up on the emails you need to without cluttering up your task management system. So if David... Uh, needs to do something, I can send them an email and then BCC like one week at SaneBox.com. And if David doesn't respond to me, I will get a reminder from SaneBox in a week reminding me to follow up on that. You never have to forget about things you've sent out in the email again. SaneBox is a whole lot more. It can help you manage attachments. It can help your executive assistant manage your email. There's so much to explore. The best way is to just dig right in with a free trial. You can start a 14-day free trial by heading over to SaneBox.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, and I think you will, you can receive a $25 credit off any SaneBox plan. So thanks to SaneBox for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, Jeff, um, you mentioned the Apple Watch. I happen to know that you have an Apple Watch because day one when I got my Apple Watch, all of a sudden I was getting these random, what do they call them, tap backs? Some, some random person was like sending me drawings and sharing their heart rate with me. And I'm like, who is this person? Well, I like to think I wasn't a random person. You were one of the few people that I knew in real life, Katie, that I knew actually had an Apple Watch in day one. And so I had, and of course, the funny thing is all of those initial features of, you know, tapping and drawing little heart. I mean, I don't do any of that stuff anymore with anybody. So it's not just, think, you, that, it's not just I, you that I'm not sending them to anymore. I will tell you, I think you're the only person that I've ever done that with. So we've shared something very special, you know, uh, only day one with the Apple Watch. Um, but I know that you have one. Um, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your, your Apple Watch and, and how you're using that these days. Yeah, I love it for, I mean, I've had it since day one. And, you know, much like I feel that Apple itself wasn't quite sure what the Apple Watch was going to be good for when it came out. I just really get that sense. And as they've updated the software, it's like, oh, well, you know, people are really using it for this. And those things that Apple is now focusing more on, things like notifications and, you know, tracking your health and just getting those quick pieces of information and communication. I love it for that. That's what I'm doing with it. I love the fact that you know, I don't text with a ton of people, mostly just like, you know, my, my wife or my kids or stuff like that. But I love that when those come in, they'll come up on my watch. I can see them instantly without being terribly distracted from what I'm doing. I have just a few people that I have noted in my iPhone slash iPad as VIPs. And for the VIPs, I will actually get a tap on my wrist. I have all the sounds turned off, by the way. I don't like my Apple Watch making noise. But um, I love that I can be doing something. And if I have like a client that I'm, I'm working on something really 
really important that's going to be due tomorrow, I, I might make them a VIP for a week so that when they send me that email, I'll just get a little tap on my wrist and I can jot down. It's like, oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. And so for notifications, I, I absolutely love it. For closing my circles every day, I really like that. Um, and, and if I mentioned before, I'm, I'm amazed that third-party apps have not been as big of a thing. I'm still using the Series 2, so I did not get the one that you could have the cellular built into it and stuff. When Apple comes out with the next version of the Apple Watch, maybe I'll, I'll make the plunge and upgrade. Um, part of the reason I skipped is I really like the stainless steel version of the Apple Watch. I, I mean, mostly I'm pretty functional when it comes to technology. This is one of those rare cases that I, I it was sort of a form thing. I, I just think it looks a lot prettier and nicer. And But they're so much more expensive that I wasn't going to go out and necessarily buy a brand new stainless steel Apple Watch every time they come out. But I, I know that the Series 3 is faster than what I have. And whatever the next Apple Watch is, maybe we'll see one this year. Um, I'm sure it will be faster still. And I would look forward to that because it, it's, it's not the fastest thing in the world, but it's just such a part of my daily life. It's I put it on in the morning and it stays on all day long until I go to bed at night. So two things. Number one, I understand completely because I actually did buy the stainless steel series three Apple watch just for that uh, with cellular, just for that reason. I've never activated the cellular, but because I only wanted the series three or the stainless steel. Now I did skip the series two. Um, and I guess the series one for that case, I went from a series zero, which is not a real thing, but the original Apple watch to the series three with stainless steel. So I didn't feel that bad about it. And I will tell you, um, I absolutely don't regret getting the stainless steel. So, um, treat, treat yourself to it. I love my stainless steel watch. Uh, number two is while we were recording this, um, someone sent me an extremely obnoxious Memoji. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I will say now that there are other people who send me senseless, ridiculous things. Um, Jeff, you should really stop doing that to Katie. That's, that's really rude. I am not running the beta version of iOS 12, so I cannot yet send emojis. But um, yes. when I get when, the, when I first have that ability on my phone, I, I already know now who my first silly emoji is going to go. <laughs> who your first emoji is going to go to? Yeah, the uh, the blue glasses were a nice touch. And Katie, I don't understand why wiggling your eyebrows is so bad. I just wiggle my eyebrows. Yeah. That's all. Okay. I'm sorry. I mean, Jeff wiggled his eyebrows. Jeff wiggled his eyebrows. Yeah. Now, this is why we never had Jeff on the show. We knew he'd do stuff like this. Um, anyway, I, I like the Apple Watch for many of the same reasons you did. Now, we talked about the carrot weather. Do you really have any other third-party apps that you're using on the watch? Because I'll tell you, I, I don't. I know David uses the drafts apps quite a bit. Yeah, I've as I'm scrolling through... No, I mean the other ones that I'm using are, you know, the the, the timer and um, messages and email. Uh, now playing, which I absolutely love when I'm listening to a podcast in my AirPods, I can, you know, play and pause. Often play and pause. YouTube's voices. Um, and but everything else is pretty. Much, oh, the home stuff. I, I'm I love home automation. Love home automation, and I love that I can use my Apple Watch to uh, turn lights on and off, whether I'm speaking to it or sometimes I'll just bring up the home app and just press the little button on it. Um, that works really well. Yeah, uh, I too use it for um, for home automation, though primarily I activate that via Siri, though not necessarily with the home app and and setting timers. I am looking forward to the. The uh, overcast update that's coming up to the Apple Watch. We'll 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 see how that works. Jeff, uh, what, what's your uh, platform for home automation? I mean, are you a Hue like guy, or what? What are you using to automate your house? 
I have never understood the concept of hue lights because the idea that you need to keep the switch on the wall on all the time and use an app to control the light, you know, what happens when your spouse or your kids or someone else, I, I just never got that. Um, I love the Lutron uh, lights. I guess they're called Lutron Cassetta. Yes, yes. I just installed another one this weekend. Yeah. They're great because they replace your switch. So it, it looks like just a normal switch that you can turn on, turn off, dim up, dim down. So everybody in your house can use it. In, or when people come over to your house, nothing looks unusual. But then because you can control that with the app, or through automation, you can have lights come on and off. So I've started, you know, as is often the case with technology, I started with just the, we have a room in the back of our house, our home theater room. We have a TV and a nice long couch. And it was just nice to, this is, you know, totally lazy and, you know, whatever, but it was nice that you could sit on the couch and using your voice or the app, you could dim the lights to just the right amount, or you can have a preset, you know, sometimes you press one button and it gets right down to 10% or whatever. That That's where we started and then expanded. And I brought it, the switches into like a living room. I have it, um, the house that I have has a porch on the, the top and the bottom. It's a Greek revival style house, if that means anything to folks. And so I have the lights there, um, have the switches so that they can come on automatically at sunset and then come on, turn off at sunrise or, or whatever I have it set to do. And, and, and I just love that. So M Lutron is my favorite of all the home automation stuff. I've tried a few other things. I do um, I do have one of those Nest Protect smoke detectors that even though that's not part of Apple's HomeKit um, uh, technology, it works really well. It was much better than the smoke detector I had before. I love that it talks to you and that you get alerts on your app when it's going to, you know, if something's going on, even if I'm away from the house. Um, that's really nice. And um, I've tried out some of the, there's a company, uh, it used to be called Elgato, but now the company's just called Eve. And they have a number of devices like thermometers and switches. The, the newest one that I've been trying out, and they sent me one to review on iPhone JD, it's a little motion detector so that I have it set up in our home theater room that when you walk in the room, the lights come on. Now that sounds simple, but it's actually a very complicated formula because you don't want the lights to necessarily come on if you've been in the room before. And if somebody's sitting there watching TV with the lights dimmed down, you don't want someone new to walk in the room and have the lights go up to 100% because that would blind everybody. So you have to like figure out the ways to control. It's like a little programming little you know challenge. You need to control for all those variables. But when you get it set up just the right way, it's uh, it's sort of magical and it's fun. Yeah, I just got because I'm I've got a home office that I've been working on, and I wanted to add a um, infrared detector to turn the lights on when I walked in. I tried the iHome one, and it wasn't consistent. It just I couldn't get it to work. Uh, so I've been looking at the Eve one. It's a little more expensive, but I think I'm going to have to try one of those. There's one downside to the Eve ones, and I think this is true for most of their products, is the Eve doesn't have Wi-Fi built into them. They use Bluetooth. And so the the product has to be sufficiently close to, um, for example, an Apple TV or something like that. So it works great in my uh, home theater room. But when I tried putting that Eve motion detector in like my living room, thinking I might, you know, what if it was like a burglar assist, you know, burglar alarm system or something like that, it was too far away from any of the other points um, that it just wasn't working consistently. So that's that's something to think about the Eve stuff. I have an Eve, um, I think it's called an Eve degree that checks the temperature in my backyard. And again, 
I had to put it in a place which was relatively easy because of where my porch is, but I had to make sure that it was close enough to the other side of the wall of where my Apple TV was so that it could communicate. If I had put it in a different part of my backyard, uh, then it would only work if my iPhone was within range. And, and so, you know, that, that's the downside of the Eve stuff. And, and they're upfront about that on their website. But if it works for your layout, uh, they're, they're great little products. I mean, it's so much better than it was a few years ago, but it still has so much more room to grow. I mean, it could be so much better still. I just recently got one or I've, I've ordered. It hasn't arrived yet. One of the um, the Hue motion sensors, because those I think have just retroactively become uh, HomeKit compatible. And so I'm looking forward to to trying that out. I do have a couple of Hue lights, but I like the Hue lights better like in lamps or, or things like that, because I agree with you. I like the Lutron Cassetta pretty much for for everything else. I'm sure you will, Katie, but please talk about that in a future MPU. I'd love to uh, love to hear what you I, think about that. I will, for sure. Yeah, tell you how I've got it set up. You know how I, I know the Lutron Cassetta lights work is now uh, my family members are requesting them for their rooms. So, you know, we've been slowly upgrading. And usually the nerdy stuff I do, they don't want anything to do with my daughter. Just said, you know, Dad, it'd be really nice if I had one of those switches in my room. I can turn off my bedroom lights when I'm in bed. So I don't have to get up and walk across the room. I'm like, oh, so. <laughs> uh, we spoil our kids, I tell you what. And, and, you know, of course I will do it for her because, you know, it pushes both my buttons. I want to be dad and I also am a nerd. But the, um, but the, what I was going to say is I really think that, um, you know, when normal people are like, oh, yeah, that works. Now I want that in my life. That's when you know that the technology has kind of turned a corner and it's starting to get get useful. And the cassette lights, like you said at the beginning of this, this segment, is just they, they solve the problem so elegantly. So, Jeff, what else are you using at your either your home that makes you happy or anything else we haven't covered? I'll mention one thing at the very end of your last um, podcast where you were talking about music and audio and stuff like that. Y'all spent a few minutes talking about CarPlay. And I know that I know that the both of you now have it. I, I just want to add like, you know, a third thumbs up for me. I when I was shopping for it was time for me to buy a new car last year. And it was um, I think, Katie, you said in the last podcast, well, if, it, if you like the car that has it, great, but don't buy a car because of it. If I may disagree with you, um, only buy a car that has CarPlay. It is so much fun. And there's so many cars that have it now that uh, I ended up getting just a, a Honda Accord. But with having CarPlay built in on the screen, I, I love it. Uh, sometimes I'm listening to music. Um, more times than often, I'm listening to podcasts. Um, I was I was listening to you two talk about CarPlay while I was in my car using CarPlay, which was a little meta the other day. And um, it's I love it. I, I love that um, you can listen to whatever you want. I love that it can read you text messages and you can dictate responses. I can. Um, I have one little complaint. It's not a complaint. I know why Apple does this, but I often want to hear my most recent emails, and that only works if your iPhone is unlocked. And before I had the iPhone 10, I could just reach down with my thumbprint and unlock the phone while I was driving without looking at the iPhone screen. But now that I have the iPhone 10. Uh, you know, I need to use my face to unlock it. And so unfortunately, I need to wait till I get to a stoplight or a, a stop sign to like very quickly look at my phone, to unlock it, and then it will go proceed to read me my recent emails and, and let me respond if I want to. But I just think it's, um, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement with CarPlay, don't get me wrong, much like the home automation stuff and the, and the Apple Watch and many of the other things we've talked about. But what it does now is so useful. And the idea that that technology can improve as Apple improves the iOS, unlike traditional car technology, like what's in my, my wife's car, that you know whatever you get when you buy your car, it's just never going to change or improve over time. Um, I just think it's fantastic. And I, I, I love CarPlay. 
Yeah, the bar is so low with the with the auto company user interfaces. I mean, it's just it's not that hard. And one tip I would add that I first read about on iPhone JD is if you're using CarPlay, you can move the apps around. It you don't think you can, but you actually there's a setting in on the phone that you do where you can change. Like if you want to use Overcast instead of the podcast app, you can put it in essence on screen one of your CarPlay. And I think I first read about that at your website. Yeah, and one reason that's so useful is the CarPlay interface has a space um, at the top left for the three most recent apps, but it, it it's not the three most recent apps, it's the, it's three of a category. And so, for example, it's your most recent map app or your most recent audio app. And for me, I'm most often switching between either Overcast for podcasts or the built-in uh, music app to be listening to music. If, if my kids are in my car, they don't want to be listening to y'all's voices or anyone else that I listen to on podcasts. And so I'll put music on for them. And because you know Overcast was the last music app, I can't just tap that little control panel thing. So I have to go to the main screen. So by putting the music app and the Overcast app all the way on the left of the screen, that's easiest to reach as I'm driving. And that works really well for me. Well, gang, uh, Jeff Richardson is one of the nicest people I know, in addition to being one of the nicest lawyers I know. And uh, he's done something really great for all of us by sharing his thoughts over at iPhone JD. Please go check it out and, and let know, Jeff, you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Uh, Jeff, uh, in addition to iPhoneJD.com, where should people go if they want to check you out? Yeah, on my law firm is called adamsandreese.com. We just debuted a brand new website at adamsandreese.com today. So you can go there and not only see a picture of me, but a little video of me talking about class actions for all of you who just can't wait to hear me talk about class action and uh, and and stuff. So uh, it's it, they did a uh, the, the folks in our marketing department did a nice job. So that's my website uh, for my work, adamsandreese.com. Uh, iphonejd.com is my hobby, and on Twitter I am. We've already talked about that. At Jeff Richards at Jeff Richardson. I, you know, what, just in closing, Jeff, I know so many people that work in large firms that are miserable and you to me are one of the big exceptions. It seems to me like those guys at Adams and Reese must take really good care of you because you, you always seem to enjoy it. And so many of us spend all this time getting away from the firm. You're just, you're doing fine and, and you get to use your Mac and your iPad stuff. I think it's just great. Yeah, I'm very lucky. It works great. Uh, thanks to our sponsors uh, this week. It was uh, RX Bar, first food sponsor gang. Check them out. It's really delicious. Smile, one password, and same box. And uh, we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.